Well, we've had a lot go on this past week, and obviously something getting ready to happen in Jamaica. Uh, what I love about the fact of our church is when we bring these groups that are going uh, on mission, uh, it seems like every time we bring a group up, there's a new face that's going on mission, some for the first time. And y'all, that's really what it's all about, is uh, to love God and make Him known to the masses and to the people and there in Jamaica. Now, how many of you would love to go uh, on a mission trip to a Caribbean island? That's a pretty good deal, right? Uh, trust me, they don't see the what we see there. Uh, it's definitely a, uh, the villages are very poverty-stricken, and just pray for the team. I hope you'll do that. Also, uh, VBS had a very successful VBS this past uh, week, and I know many of you uh, participated as volunteers, and we just thank you so much for what you've done, uh, from those who helped direct parking to feeding to teaching and uh, hurting kids around like hurting cats is the way it looked a lot of time this week. Uh, but it was a beautiful time this week, and uh, they filled this room up. Uh, Corby told me we averaged about 240 kids a day, and uh, that was a pretty successful uh, uh, time. But really what made it successful from what I found is that many of the parents are coming up and talking to some of the leaders saying that their kids are asking a lot of questions about salvation. And just pray as we follow up uh, with that also. All right, uh, as it relates to the building over there, uh, I don't know if you've stuck your head in there and looked, but uh, things are progressing. All the demolition, demolition is taken care of. A lot of the framing is going back in. And uh, so keep praying about that for uh, the worker's safety, but also that we can get this thing done and get back in there before school uh, comes back. So y'all be praying about that also. All right, if you have the Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're continuing the series, The Supremacy of Christ. Now, some of you are going to say, why did you tell us to turn to chapter 3? Shouldn't we be turning to chapter 2? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm skipping over chapter 2, and we're going to save that for its own series in November. So we're going to push chapter 2 to November. And the reason I'm doing that is because I think there's a great tie-in between chapter 1 and chapters 3 and 4. And basically what Paul is attempting to do with the material in this letter is in chapter 1, he's basically giving us a correct version of who Jesus is. In chapter 2, he's talking about all the misrepresentations of who Jesus is and what the salvation is really all about that he provides. And so there's a lot of things. And if you look at chapter 2, if you say, okay, where do the cults come from? Where do those who misrepresent Jesus come from? It's really the four things that you'll see in chapter 2. You'll see how everything kind of breaks away from the true uh, picture of who Jesus really is. So what I want to do is I want to tie chapter 1 to chapter 3 where it tells us how to live with a proper understanding of who Jesus is and what his salvation is all about. And so that's what we're uh, tackling this morning. So look at the introduction. Someone has rightly said that life is what you are alive to, what you're alive to, what you're truly passionate about. Musicians are alive to music. College football fans are alive to college football. All you got to do is toss a bone out there, and they will talk all about it, and they'll make stuff up. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, I mean, everybody has that thing that just when they hear about it, uh, they light up. Mention cars to teenage boys, and they come alive. Mention money in the stock market to investors. They come alive. But what you are alive to or passionate about is really, when you think about it, those things that you invest time in, Invest your energy and even invest your resources. 
really as it relates to even money. And so, so many times we would say, you know, I'm, it, it, you've made me think here today. What am I alive to? I want you to think about that. What are you alive to? What are you, what are you passionate about? That really tells a lot about who a person is. So look at the next part of the introduction. For followers of Jesus, this passion comes from living life with an unimaginable perspective that is found in who we are in Christ. So we're really, if you think about what we're doing in chapter 3, we're continuing the talk of really who we are in Christ. What does it really mean? And really, the way Paul introduces this in chapter 3, he basically says that a believer, a follower of Jesus, is to be alive to Jesus himself. So when you become a Christian, basically, he's getting ready to share this with us in chapter 3, our life takes on a whole new meaning. It doesn't just take on a whole new meaning. A new perspective comes with it also. So Paul writes it this way in Philippians 1.21. Some of you know the verse. He says, for to me to live is what? Christ. He basically saying, this is what I am alive to. This is who I am. This is what I'm passionate about. Now, after Paul's conversion, I want you to think about this. He had a new perspective on who God was. Think about it. He was still, he believed before his conversion that he was serving the true and living God. If you don't believe me, go back and study his life, and you'll see that Paul really did, was dedicated to the cause of God himself. But he totally, uh, when he looked at Jesus as the Messiah, he couldn't go there. And so all of a sudden, on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Boy, that would get your attention, especially if you know he's been dead or has died. And so now he's there, and his, everything about his life, his passions, every way, the way he sees God, everything begins to change. And this should be the case for us who are in Christ. There are phrases in this passage that prove that Jesus gives us a new perspective on life. I want you to think about something in your life. What's something that has come into your life that has given your life a new perspective? Think about that. What has come into your life? Some would say, well, my education, when I went and got an education, there was something that, that I really wasn't aware of, and I, I, I began to see things through a different perspective. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, right? For some of you, it would be an experience you had. I've talked to many people who've had what they call a near-death experience. I've talked to people who have had something that would come into their life that just literally shook them at the foundation of who they were, and from it came a new perspective on life. How many of you, when grandkids showed up, a new perspective came? How about when that first child showed up? A new perspective on life changes. There are things that are built into life that gives us and forces us to look through the lens of a new perspective when it comes to life. And guess what? When you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you come on the terms of his salvation, a new perspective is given. And Paul is basically helping us to understand more fully what that means. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, he basically says that we are raised with Christ. This is on your own. So, so we're raised with Christ. That means we went from death to life. It's a past understanding of salvation. So when you say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, some of you, maybe you were a child, maybe vacation Bible school, you, you came to know Jesus, many people do. And all of a sudden, you begin to live your life, and now you're standing here some years later, and you would have to say there's a past 
basically there's a past aspect to my salvation, and it is the fact that at the moment I came to know Jesus, according to God's word, I went from death to life. Now, let me ask you a question. Should that change your perspective? <laughs> yeah, I mean, radically, that should change your perspective. And so and then in verse 3, we're going to see that our life is hidden with Christ. And it's basically the idea of a present understanding of salvation. Now, when it says it's hidden with Christ, it's not only given the aspect that, that it's protected, okay? That's really some of the aspect of what it's talking about. But it's also saying to the rest of the world, our life in Christ doesn't make a lot of sense to most people. How many of you are fully aware of that? How many of you, how many of you when you look out there in the world, it seems that there's a hatred for Christ? And even for those who are now living for him or, or standing for him, there seems to be a, a, re, a whole idea of this. And so it's not only meaning it's protected, but it's also the idea that others cannot comprehend now what we have. How many of you have family members? They just don't get who you are as a Christian. They don't get you. You, make, you don't make a whole lot of sense to them anymore or maybe even friends. That's the reason we see when people come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, sometimes our whole friend group changes because it's a different perspective. It's a different mentality when it comes to life. Thirdly, verse 4 is going to show us that we will appear with Christ, and it's basically a future understanding of salvation. So he's basically, Paul is basically saying, this salvation now that you know who Jesus truly is in chapter 1 and the way I presented him and what his salvation is all about, I want you to understand what that means for you, not only in the past, but also the present and the future. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then your life and your existence will center around Christ. If our life centers around Jesus, then we begin to understand what the Christian life is truly all about. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say this. They'll say, you know, I, I believe I'm a Christian. I, there was a point in my life where I came to know Jesus as my Savior, but sometimes I just ha I don't really understand what all that means. And that's where good discipleship comes in. And discipleship can, I mean, let's face it. We have to be a participant in, in discipleship. We as a church, our goal is to disciple you. Okay, my goal, what I'm doing right now is literally not to just come up here and tell cute little stories. My goal right now and what I'm attempting to do is to disciple you and who you are in Christ and in his salvation. That is the goal. And Colossians is a perfect book for this. So let's begin to break this down. Look on your outline. The Christian life is a resurrected life. Think about it. You went from death. The Bible says before you came to Jesus, you were dead in your sins. Now you're alive. So it's a resurrected life. So when you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, the word that begins this whole passage for many translations is the word if. So the word if here in this context is not to create doubt. It's really saying now that this has happened. That's really what if is meaning here. If you have the NIV version and many other versions, it basically says since. Since you've come to know here or since it's all been there, which leads us really to the first thing that we see here is that this is a spiritual fact. So the Christian life is centered around, think about this, a death, a burial, and a resurrection. How do we know? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ. Now, a lot of people would read that and say, what in the world does that mean? 
Some people would say that that phrase has no credence. It's, it's just some ancient way of thinking about the gods or whatever. But let me just remind you that nowhere, nowhere in any other faith, in any other religion, or any other thing that's out there do you find terminology like you find in Christianity. There's nothing like it. There's nothing that compares. So in Colossians 2, if you look back, I want you to see what this really means. Colossians chapter 2, look back maybe a page or across the page. Look at verse 12. It says that we're buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is responsible, based on what Jesus did on your behalf, for raising you from the dead. Skip down to verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Basically, what Paul is basically trying to say is, there's some of you who say that you've gone from death to life, but there's some of you that's really, that, that, that's not really a commentary of your life. It's not really the picture of really how you're living. You're living as though you've got to, 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 to do this and do that and do that. No, your whole realm of who you are has radically changed. It's not now you have new rules in your life, new regulations in your life. No, you've been practically and abundantly changed. And that's why he's trying to get here. We see that in chapter Two. We're going to talk more about that later. So these verses state that 2,000 years ago, I want you to get your mind around this. These verses are going to state, when Christ died, we died. When Christ was buried, we were buried. When Christ was made alive and resurrected, we were made alive and resurrected. So therefore, what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago means that we've been co-resurrected. And that's the language we find in Scripture where it says, I am crucified with Christ. I was dead, now I'm alive. Something has changed. So we have a resurrected life in Jesus Christ. If you have not, if you have not, have not, if you have not, or not, excuse me, a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you're still dead in sin. Now what does that mean? It means that the whole awareness of a creator and everything that he has for you and available to you is not in the realm in which you live. That means something has to change. And that's us accepting the fact that at one point in our life, at some point in our life, we were dead in our sins. Nothing we could do about it according to God's word. But God, through the Holy Spirit, came to us with the message of hope, with the message of Jesus Christ, and allowed us to step over into this new life that's been provided by Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot that's being said here. And so think about it. We don't need a new set of rules and regulations to live right. There's a lot of people who are still dead in their sins, and they think, well, Christianity is attractive, and I, I know the Ten Commandments, so I'm just going to follow this. And, and that's not bad in and of itself. But if you're still dead in your sins, it, I mean, think about it. You're still not made alive. Okay? Now, here, here's a great example of this. How many of you remember the story of Lazarus in the Bible? Jesus is off. He's away. He gets word that Lazarus is about to die. And, and Jesus basically stays where he is until Lazarus dies. <laughs> and then he shows up at the home where Lazarus is. His two sisters, Mary and Martha. You remember the whole scene. Now, you understand, these are some of Jesus' best friends. 
And Jesus shows up, and, and he basically one of them accuses him of not being there when they needed him and all this stuff. And, and so Jesus walks on the scene, and he basically says, Lazarus, come forth, doesn't he? And Lazarus, with a physical death, became physically alive. Now, now I want you to think about that. Did, did, did Lazarus need a new set of guidelines on how to live his life? Did he need to have rules and regulations he needed to follow to, to step out of death into life? No. What, what did Lazarus need? He needed life. And that's what salvation is all about. It's not sitting bogged down in the rules and the regulations and all these different things that people say that this is a Christian, this is what you should be about and all this stuff. Now, could come, is some of that important? Very important. But you don't need rules and regulations when you're dead in sin. You need life. And that's what Christ Jesus provides for us. So, we have been given a brand new life in Christ. Now, let me just say this. Many of you heard my testimony. I was saved when I was eight years old. Okay? There's not a lot. Of, it's kind of fun. We have an eight-year-old grandson. And he's really, I mean, he really thinks deep. He really does. I mean, it blows my mind sometimes. And then he'll go and do something crazy. I'm like, well, he blew that. <laughs> but anyway, no. But, but, but it is one of those things where I love to talk with him because I feel like talking to him, I'm understanding more fully of what I was like when I was eight and the thought processes I may have had when it came to all that. And what I'm finding is the fact that just like him, I, I, I never know a moment in my life, and I shared this with you, many of you are in the same category where I didn't know who Jesus was. How many of you always knew who Jesus was growing up. From your very first memories, that's who, who he was. You might not understood it perfectly, but you knew those things. The point is this. The point is the fact that when Jesus came into our life, listen, he gave us a brand new life. Now, as an eight-year-old, number one, you're, pre you're pretty new yourself. Would you agree with that? And it's hard to see a lot of the difference the people that I know that are saved 40, 45, 50, 55 years old, let me tell you something. You can literally, when they come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you can literally almost see a, a physical change that happens on them. The burden is lighter. The fact that they no longer have to be held down by the weight of their sin anymore because they've given it to Jesus. It's like a whole new, brand new life. Being saved as a child, sometimes it's hard to understand what that means. But for some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Paul's basically saying, we don't need more rules and regulations. We need Jesus, therefore we need life. And that's what our salvation really is really all about. It's a spiritual fact that we go from death to life. It's not just a spiritual fact. Look on your outline. It's a practical force. There's something that goes on here. Paul in Romans writes this. We should consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God by way of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. So basically, now that we've come to this understanding that we have a new life in Jesus, that his salvation provides that for us, we need to stand on this side, looking back at the old life, and basically saying, I am no longer, uh, excuse me, I am dead to sin, but I'm alive to Jesus, Okay. That's what the salvation looks like. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to Jesus. Now, does that mean perfection will come from me in every way? No. Sin still weighs on us, doesn't it? 
Paul talks about it. If you, if you want to understand what happens to someone who comes to this new life in Jesus Christ, and you want to understand the struggle between the old life and the new life, read Romans chapter 7. Paul does a great job explaining it. Okay? Now, let me say this. With this new life, what I have found with me is that as a result of this new life, my want-tos change. I don't want to be in sin anymore. My want-to. Do I find myself here sometimes? Do we? Yeah, Paul even said he did. There's times where things hit him in such a way that he reacts badly and poorly. And so basically, what Paul was trying to tell us in Romans chapter 7, he's like, I no longer am satisfied being here. I want to be living in the reality that my salvation provides for me in Jesus. How many of you, um, how many of you, you know I'm a neat freak, but how many of you, um, let's just say you, you fall into a pool of water and you're fully clothed. What's the first thing you want to do when you get out? You want to take them wet clothes off, don't you? And you want, what if someone came to you and said, no, 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 okay, put those wet clothes back on. Is that something you'd be excited about? That's the last thing you want to do. But guess what? For some of us, that's what we do. And with us putting those clothes back on, we're, we're wrapping ourselves back in sin and the, and the whole idea of death. What he's saying is, it's all new. And as a result, you want to change. You don't want to go there. But Paul said, but there's times I find myself here. But you know something? My want to is to be back over here. And that's the difference. And that's what we find with this new life. There's a practical force that comes with it. So when this becomes a reality in our life, I want you to think about it. Perspective change changes. We all need, think about this, we all need a correct perspective. Do you agree with that? Sometimes we all need a correct perspective. Now let me just tell us where, let me tell you where we get our perspective from a lot of times. How many of you are fully aware that news runs 24-7? Do you remember? How many of you remember when it was just 6 o'clock evening news? You remember those days? I, I, I was doing a little research. When did, when did all of a sudden news need to be 24-7? And, and, and everything I read seems to be tied back to the OJ trial. How many of you remember that? And they found out that people like watching that stuff. From, the, from where the car was on the interstate. And they figured that all of a sudden they came to a discovery that we need news 24-7. And for many of us, that's where we get a lot of our perspective. Don't we? I do. I look at it sometimes and I'm sitting there. But here's what I've learned. And it's been pretty recent for me. Every one of those news stations, let me just tell you this, they want to change your perspective. Many of them want to indoctrinate you to the way the world looks at certain issues. And, and, and sometimes you've got this perspective and this perspective. And I don't know about you, but I can go over here and hear this perspective and think, man, they got a great point. And then I'll hear the next perspective totally opposite from this perspective over here. And I'm thinking, well, that's a great point also. And then sometimes I'm sitting there thinking, where is the correct perspective? Now, some of you would say, it depends on the news outlet you look at. I understand that. But what I'm saying about perspective, when it comes to the new life we have in Jesus Christ, all that is superseded by 
the wisdom and the knowledge that he wants to give us about the perspective of this world. And no one outlet, no one place will you get the full perspective of all the wonders and treasures of what God has. You won't find it. Education, it's the same way. And the thing that we need to understand is there's a practical force. And let me say this about your perspective, okay? Because here's what we do. And, and I'm saying this as delicately as I know how. What we do is we leave it to others to research everything and then tightly put it in, a, in gift wrapping and present that perspective to us. And here's what, here's what 24 news outlets and education, all these things have done. They've wrapped it up beautifully for us and they present it to us. And guess what? We become lazy about our perspective and we just trust what we're hearing here. Now you say, man, why are you beating up on that? I'm telling you because there's something greater than anything this world can offer us. And it is that perspective that only Jesus can give. And, and that's something we've got to pay attention to. And so what does that language look like? Well, first of all, he says this. There's two commands that are going to follow what he just said. How, how do we live the life that we're called to live, that resurrected life? How do we live it? Number one, by seeking it's literally the idea to pursue heavenly things. Look at verse 1 again of chapter 3. If then you were raised, or since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Take your perspective from something higher than what the world offers. Take it higher. Why would we want to do that? Because that's where Christ is. This new life he gives us, He's the source of our new life. And basically, that's where he is. And guess what? He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's not only there, he's sitting in a position of authority. And he has authority over your life based on what he's done. Now, I want you to think about this word seek. It's, it's really, it's a strong word. It literally means, it carries the idea of strong, intense pursuit. Now, there's times, and, and, and really, when I was thinking of a good illustration to prove this, the first thing that popped in my head was a gymnast. How many of you, I'm not really in the to gymnast watching necessarily, but I remember some scenes that really hit me over the years, and I went back and re-looked at some of those, even this morning, and I was sitting there, a gymnast on the vault. You know, the women, they hit the vault, the 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 thing and they hit it and they flip and do all kinds of stuff and of course we would die if we did something like that but anyway but have you ever watched the full idea of what that's all about first of all they stand there and one of the most intense facial expressions you'll ever see is right there on their face how many of you know what i'm talking about i mean they are there they are basically pushing everything else out except for what they're getting ready to pursue right there in front of them Nothing else matters. Nothing matters. And then all of a sudden, they start to run. What do you see? You see veins popping out. You see those little legs. I mean, they're turning. They're building up speed. Boy, they hit that thing. They do the flips and the flops and all that kind of stuff. And, and then they stick the landing. And then what do you see next? Big old smile on their face. But I want you to think about what that looks like. I got to thinking about that, and I said, you know, based on what I know about this word seek and pursue, that's probably exactly what they're talking about here. It's probably, is, this is it. 
I also think about this. What if someone here at church today told you that they heard that on your property, that it is believed that there's a minimum of $5 million worth of gold somewhere on your property? Would your perspective change? You'd be sitting here thinking, is he ever going to shut up? <laughs> I mean, because your whole focus is not on anything we can offer you. It's back out there at the field, right? And guess what? That Sunday afternoon nap, it's gone today, right? Everything changed. All of a sudden, what are you alive to? Finding $5 million on my property, Right? We were just selling our house recently, and, and, and I got up there, and they have a form that you fill out when you sell your house. And it basically says if, if, any, uh, if they begin to till up the land and any gold or even oil starts to pop out of there, that the people you're selling a lot, it becomes theirs. I'm sitting there thinking, no, I'm not signing this. <laughs> That's what made me think of it. And the point is that we will go out of our way to do whatever it would take to find it. Our whole life would change. Let me ask you this. Would you get up and go to work tomorrow? Grandkids call. Hey, granddaddy, can we go spend the day at the pool? Nope. Unless you want to come over and help me dig. (laughs) I mean, everything changes. And it's like that. So, So what are we seeking? What does the Bible say we're seeking? Paul says, seek those things, pursue those things with intense passion that are from above. So what are we to seek? Spiritual values, spiritual fruit, tenderness, kindness, meekness, patience, wisdom, forgiveness, strength, purity, and love. Uh, spiritual values, we, we're something in our heart that wickedness and maybe a, a harsh and critical spirit then turns into humility and a sacrificial spirit. He's saying, equip yourself with what comes from God. Because now you have a new life. It's brand new. A second command we find in this passage, setting. It means think on heavenly things in this context. Verse 2, set your mind. Some of your translations may say some of these, but here's what it could mean. Your mind, your thoughts, your affections, your will, your perspective on things above, not on the things of this earth. Why would he say that? Because nothing in this world will truly satisfy the human heart. You know that, right? We'll always be let down. There's always something this world will promise that won't be able to keep. The enemy will pitch it to you. The world will pitch it to you. And it still won't be fully satisfying. And that's what we see. But he's saying this. He's saying, look to this. Look to this other. There there are many who see everything from an earthly perspective. The book of Revelation has a phrase that complements this thought. It says, those who dwell on the earth. The phrase literally means earth dwellers. And these are people who've made up their mind that the only world there is, is this world. How many of you have seen that that mentality out there? And here's what they'll do. Because they think this is the only life they're ever going to have, they will do the unthinkable in this life. I hate to keep bringing it up, even abortion. I remember a president one time said this, I never want my child to be punished with a child. 
the harshness of that. And whoever would have thought we'd hear something like that? And, and, and the re- where does that mentality come from? Because if you believe this is all there is, you only have one life. This is it. And so you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to create a utopia. And it will always fail because this is a fallen world. And I think that's the reason suicide rates are through the roof. Because we now have more access to knowledge. We have more access to things. We can do things. We're more mobile. We can experience this, experience that, do that. And guess what? They're coming on the other side of it, experiencing all these things and saying nothing satisfies The world's never intended to satisfy us in this fallen condition. And that's the only mentality they have. So so how does our perspective change? How do we pursue and think on eternal things? Philippians 4, just write this down. I don't have time to get you. uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. If you say, okay, in a nutshell, tell me how my perspective needs to change. Paul tells you right here. You're going to recognize it when I say it. Listen to what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It starts with gratitude. It starts with rejoicing in what God provides. Okay? That's a different mentality. Let your gentleness be known to all. Let you be known as a person of gentle heart. And then it says that the Lord is at hand. I often wonder, why is that phrase there? It means two things from what I can tell. It means he's watching, but he's also helping. And then he says this, be anxious for nothing. Quit worrying. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with a grateful heart, let your requests be known to God. And as a result, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brother, whatever things are what? True, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Put your mind on these things. It doesn't get any more practical than this. Some people say, well, the Bible's outdated. It's not, it's not practical. It's all this. No, it doesn't get any more practical than this. He's telling you where the thoughts need to go. And we see it so clearly. So here's the footnote. The act of pursuing and thinking gives us our perspective. Pursuing. You got to get out there. You got to to pursue what God has. You got to think about these things. Listen, the people that I see growing in Christ, in their faith, are people who have a quiet time. They fellowship with other believers on, on a small level. They do. Listen, the greatest time of growth I've ever had in my life, it it, it has been when my devotional life was right, when I was meeting regularly with other Christians to fully understand more fully who I am in Christ. That that helped me more than anything. Sitting here like you are, maybe not for me, but someone. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But, but, But basically just investing in those things. And that's what we see here. It changes our perspective. The Christian life is protected. It provides double security. Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. The word hidden there literally means something valuable that is hidden to protect. Is hidden to protect. Now, what would we say that in our day and age? It's a safe, right? A safe. 
Now, how many of you think a safe is really secure? You ever gone in your safe and put something in it, shut the door, whatever? Wasn't but a couple months ago, I've got this safe. It's supposed to protect. I keep a lot of my important papers in there, you know, old tax returns and everything. So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay, this is safe and all that. And all of a sudden, the four-year-old grandsons come walking out there with my tax returns. <laughs> what is this, granddaddy? I said, how did you get your hands on that? <laughs> that safe was not that secure, was it? All you had to do, evidently, I didn't spin the dial. He just cranked it and took, the, took it out. Went in there, he had it all laid out for me in case I'm being audited, I guess. <laughs> but the point is this. He talks about double security. The verb tense here is very important. He says, when you, when you look at Scripture, verse 2, he says, seek those things. Verse 2, set your mind. Both verbs are in the present. Meaning, we are to live the Christian life, not only looking to the past, what Christ has done, and what he says he's going to do in the future with his promises, but the meat of the Christian life is lived in the present. And the words that he uses to describe that walk is seek and pursue and set your mind. It's all about perspective. And then the, verse, the verb phrase in verse 3, your life is hidden. And it speaks of security. You've been packed away. It's something valuable is now protected. It's a verb that carries the idea of something that happened in the past and continues into the future. Through the present into the future. It's called the heiress tense. And so basically what you have here is my, past, my, my life was secured in Christ when he did what? When he died, when he hung on the cross and was resurrected. It happened back there. I embraced it in the present, and now I can embrace the promises of the future. And again, this is what he's talking about, double security. Next, it's not only double security, it provides definite satisfaction. Verse 3 again, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look over at Colossians 2, look at verse 3 there. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If in Christ are hidden all the treasures, and we are with Christ or in Christ, that means you and I have all the treasures that are available that come from above. We have access, basically, to the hidden resources of Christ. Now, let me tell you how this plays out. The disciples, you remember Jesus was sitting there one day, and, and they needed food, and he sent the disciples to go find food, okay? The disciples came back, and they said, here's the food. But Jesus saw through it. He said, I have meat to eat that you not know of. Now, I would be thinking with my plain self, earthly self, you got a T-bone back there somewhere? No, he was talking about spiritual things. He was talking about this will provide satisfaction for now, but it won't be lasting. And he's basically talking about that. So he said, and then Jesus basically was saying, I have hidden resources. I have access to resources this world does not know about. And that's the reason I want you, the reason I say that is because Jesus was always thinking of the meaning behind something. That's where a lot of wisdom comes into play in this life. Don't take everything at face value. Now, now, I'm not telling you to be a conspiracy theorist either, okay? Some of you people got some whacked out stuff going on, okay? But I am here to tell you that there is a meaning greater than what you're seeing also. And many times it has a spiritual context. 
And that is where we begin to understand more fully about this new perspective. And that's what he's talking about there. So here's how I want to close this. Basically, I want you to skip to the application. Okay? The application is this. What are you alive to? Some of you would say, well, it depends on the time of the year. I'm alive to college football. Come September, those games are going to start coming on. I'm going to be alive to that. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to dream about it. I'm going to, I'm going, my wife's going to be mad about it. I'm going to, <laughs> it's going to be all over. And, and, and then it'll move to college basketball. And then it's going to move to this. It's going to move to that. But really, what I'm asking you is right now, where you are right now, do you not realize that based on the authority of God's word, and the fact that you were dead in your sins and now you're alive to Christ, we need to be alive to Jesus. He needs to be our passion. He needs to be our desire. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, I stand here on this platform and I realize I'm talking about where the rubber meets the road. So many times I think people in this room, me included at times, think we can kind of wrap it up and fix it up nicely and present certain things to you. But Father, really what you're calling to us is a sold out life. A life in which we're alive to you, that we're passionate about the things that you're doing in our life. Father, I thank you that the fruit from that is satisfaction. And Father, as I hear from those, even a gentleman that's a solid member of our church, served this church so faithfully over the years, got a tough health report this past week. Father, because he has a heavenly mindset, he knows what's on the other side of this life. He doesn't live his life trying to create a utopia here in this world, trying to make the best of this world. He, he's living for another world to come. And as a result, he has a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's there. It's available to him. Father, that could only be produced from someone who's lived their lives daily looking to you, pursuing you, seeking you. Father, I just pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that when the time comes, that we'll be laying there trying to figure it all out, that, Lord, we can pull from this life that you've given us to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, help us to realize a world can never even come close to what that's all about. It'll only come through you. So, Father, I just pray that we'll do a careful evaluation, even sitting here in our seat right now, of what we're alive to. What are we passionate about? What truly has eternal, an eternal victory associated with it? An eternal perspective that comes with it. Help us to think beyond this life and the world that you have available to us in the future. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it challenges us. In Jesus' name.